Yes, it is, and welcome back as we head into this third hour, Monday, August 30th, 2021. Someone I've wanted to chat with and get his thoughts for a long time, our good friend and occasional guest host, Dr. Zudi Jasser, president and founder of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. Dr. Jasser, how are you? Uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for ha- th- thanks for joining us. Uh, tell me what this means to you uh, as a uh, as the president of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, and as a man who uh, has worn the uniform, the military uniform of the United States of America. It's a crawl I saw across the screen of a news channel just a moment ago. Fate of Americans and allies left to the Taliban. What does that mean to you? Fate of Americans and allies left to the Taliban. Yeah, I mean, I have to tell you, first and foremost, most importantly, as, as a former naval officer, as a, a son of immigrants that came here because America represented the uh, first and last protectorate of those who believed in freedom and liberty, it's it's a sad day. Not not that we're leaving. I think what is laid bare right now is what many of us and me first took a while to learn, which is that there's no military solution uh, to this problem. However, uh, there's a way we could have done this without owning this horrific departure where we turned on a dime, where we evacuated the military first, and then now uh, a salvage operation where we laid ourselves uh, so open to a terror attack. I mean, all the terror attacks that as we approach the 20-year anniversary of 9-11, of all the terror attacks that many which we, we think could have been prevented, this one uh, is, is far ahead of any as far as could have been prevented, the one last Thursday. And yet uh, we're departing with uh, speeches about the forever war ending. The war didn't end. There's no That's the point design. I wanted to raise There's, by you. I heard this again and again ad nauseum today, the longest war over, uh, America ends longest war. I'm not so sure these people aren't fools, Sudi. Are they delusional? Wars end when you actually decimate your enemy. We did not decimate the Taliban. Wars end when you actually sign a, a an agreement with folks that share your values and they're they become your allies, or the people that you want to defeat are defeated and declare surrender. The Taliban did not surrender. They actually are, are hanging folks uh, that were our allies a week ago. And it, it is just horrific to think that somehow the military I wore uniform of now is, is, is saying that this is a honorable departure. This is not an honorable departure. It's basically uh, a departing in the in the dark of the night and telling folks that we did a poor job. I mean, one of the things we're blaming the last 10 days. Yes, the last 10 days is responsible for the terror attack from last Thursday, is responsible for so many lives left behind. But the Taliban taking over was probably going to happen anyway over the next one to two years, not 10 days, but one to two years, just like Iraq now has been handed over to Iran, just like so many things where we thought we could somehow have mission accomplished by just defeating their old dictators. And, and that's just not the truth. We never wage the war, the true cold war that exists today with hot areas uh, against not only terrorism, but against political Islam is growing more than ever. The jihadis are now stronger than ever. They never think we're going to be back there. And so now they're actually more empowered to uh, not only destroy our allies and the, and the women that have now felt in some way empowered, uh, but they're now going to be working with alliances globally 
that uh, is going to be with abandon. Zudi Jasser is our guest. It sickens me to even ask this. It really does. It sickens my stomach. But let me let me ask anyway. Zudi, I was revisiting some of my memories <clears throat> of Al Qaeda and Bin Laden, and I was put in mind of a 1997 interview Bin Laden did with, I think, Peter Arnett of CNN, if I'm not mistaken, where he was talking about how America cuts and runs with the least amount of, with just a very little amount of resistance. It did so in Beirut, he said. It did so in Vietnam, he said. We did so in um, in uh, in Somalia, and he said we would do so if we ever went after them where they are now. And I just have to eerily say it looks like he may have been off by a few years, but he could have lived to have almost seen exactly what we're seeing today. And that's it's it's not rocket science. I mean, we're t- you know people talk about this as if you have you need to have the the point of which is not that he was accurate. Policy. The point of which is that all that history is what encouraged him. And who are we encouraging now? Right? Exactly, exactly. The fact that the bottom line is 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 regardless of of where you're fighting the battle or the war, when your enemy sees that you don't have the the strategic wherewithal and the the arch you know, the arc of sort of a plan, and uh, to, to make it obvious that you've declared war ideologically, regardless of whether you're going to have a kinetic aspect to that war, absolutely we should withdraw troops uh, and realize that we can't be nation-building. This is a battle for the Afghanis to fight, but we also can't occupy their country for 20 years, 19-plus years, and then say, well, we're not going to educate them and in how to do air protection or in how to do technological protection against the Taliban. We're just going to sort of uh, give them weapons and then walk out, and all of a sudden they're going to take off their uniforms because they never really got trained in in how to, intelligence-wise, protect their country, number one. Number two, we never actually waged a war like we did against the Soviets in a Cold War ideological fashion. There was no radio-free Afghanistan. There was no uh, uh, demonization of the Taliban and its ideology by our public diplomacy program, which has been completely abandoned. We We actually empowered the Islamists, and then we said, oh my gosh, they're still running the show. Well, I'm sorry, this is beyond negligence. What the Biden administration did, I can't help but believe they actually wanted the Taliban to take over, and if you don't believe that, it, it, it's it's beyond. Ask yourself what they, yeah. Ask yourself what they would do to get the Taliban to take over. Yeah, right. Yeah, if you don't believe exactly. it, ask what ask what they would have done to have the Taliban take over. Which brings up another interesting point, Zudi. There's a lot here, uh, a lot to this, obviously. But I've noticed in Joe Biden's rhetoric, he 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 often talks about the mission. Uh, of the original mission of going into Afghanistan to get bin Laden and clear out the tal- and clear out al qaeda he he neglects to say, as my memory uh, had and as I validated, that every speech and debate about the AUMF and every speech about going into Afghanistan it wasn 't just al qaeda that we were and bin Laden talking about. We were going in to get rid of the Taliban too. And when Joe Biden talks about having completed our mission, he's leaving out something pretty big here, the Taliban, the elephant in the room. And to those who call or write or argue that the Taliban is better than al-Qaeda, um, I, I, don't, I, I don't know what to say except to go back in history and look at these two movements 
and see their inextricable, inextricable and parasitic relationship. I don't know that we can easily say one is better than the other. One may be more regional than the other, but I don't know beyond that that the difference is that important. And, and the incomprehensibility of it is the fact that in the Cold War, did we think that the communists in Central America or the Cuban communists or, or those that may not have necessarily been openly working with the Soviets were any less dangerous to American security? Uh, than uh, uh, the Soviets themselves. Yeah, right. uh, there's no doubt communism was communism right. and political Islam, whether it's the Brotherhood. I mean, look at Qatar. Yeah. Was it so surprising that every time we wanted to meet with the Taliban and when we released these so-called Taliban Five and we exchange it for the traitor Bergdahl, that that exchange was navigated by Qatar that runs one of the most influential media arms uh, in the Arab world, right. the most influential, which is Al Jazeera, that has radicalized more Americans, more Americans and 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 Muslims in the West, that aired beheadings of Al Qaeda by Al Qaeda while we were in Iraq and and elsewhere. So the bottom line is, is these Islamists, regardless of what flavor they are, regardless of whether they're wearing suits and ties or or uh, uh, beards and and, uh, and ropes. in the yep. posture areas right. or wherever, yeah. are drinking from the same stuff. Zudi, I got to run to a quick break. What's your time zone? Do you have time? Oh. Like, do you have time for one more segment, or do you got to run? Oh, sure. I, I would love to uh, pick up on that. We are speaking with Dr. Zudi Jasser, president and founder of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. AIFDemocracy.org is the website. Author of a great book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam. An American Muslim Patriot's fight to save his faith. By the way, Zudi loves taking questions too. If you have any, he's happy to take those with me. 602-508-0960. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Dr. Jasser, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Dr. Zudi Jasser founder and president of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, is with us. He's also the author of a great book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam, an American Muslim Patriot's Fight to Save His Faith. Zudi, what, um, you've been excellent, uh, really a, a resource like none other, in helping educate Americans onto the nature of not only the threat, but what we need to do. And you're absolutely right. I worried after 9-11 that this country wouldn't have the cultural wherewithal to fight the kind of war it needed to fight, to have the kind of victory we needed to have. I was thinking mostly in the kinetic sense. You're absolutely right on the messaging and conversion and evangelization sense as well. That is how we won the Cold War. And you're right, too, to talk about the Soviet Union and its satellites as the threats and the danger and how it was all our battlefield. Uh, Zudi, do Americans need right now a good working distinction between Haqqani, ISIS, ISIS-K, Taliban? Um, what am I leaving out? I guess one could expand to Hezbollah. Did I say the Haqqani network? Do we need a working understanding of these or can we assume generally – like we do uh, the mafia family, I don't need to know exactly what the uh, the major differences are between the Bonanno family and the Gotti family. If there's anything that we learned since 9-11, I, I hope it's that there's no difference between any of those groups. Okay. Uh, terrorism is, uh, they are supremacist and fascist. Part of the definition 
of theocratic fascism is that they the ends justify the means. Yeah. So some use uh, the appearance of moderation. Uh, look at Iran. Uh, we we went from the the left on CNN telling us that somehow Rafsanjani and others were moderate, and now we actually have the hanging judge as the president of Iran. Right. And uh, uh, there's been very little change, if anything, empowerment now that they saw that the illusion of moderation no longer needed to happen. So at the end of the day, we need to start to consider what's the next step. Uh, I'll remind you that 90% of the funds of the Afghanistan Central Bank are in the United States right now. So a coup, a coup happened last week, and that coup is being run by a band of militant jihadis that share none of our values and that would may not have killed an American soldier while we were there in the last 20 months, but they've let that happen and they facilitated it, and we still have all their money. So what's the next step? Nobody's pushing the Biden administration about what the next step is, and there's a reason why under Trump and Pompeo and others uh, we had very few attacks, none, and, and we decimated ISIS. And I have to tell you, on the one hand, as bad as this is for American security, Americans are going to wake up to the fact that we need some type of long-term strategy because we have been under the illusion that the military power that we have has kept us at bay for 20 years, maybe, and and now we need some other solution. And this administration is going to dig us even further into the hole. Uh, Zudi, um, thank you for that. I I, I appreciate it. Uh, Zudi, the, the, the next question that I have for you uh, about all of this is – it's it's natural to say, well, this was Donald Trump's plan. You're right to point out that, well, under Donald Trump's plan, it didn't envision handing the government over to the Taliban. Might that have eventuated? Well, might. Could be. A lot of things could have eventuated. What we do know happened is that Americans weren't being killed, and we had left behind a force 2,500 strong or so. The conservative movement in foreign policy has debated being any number of names, whether, we, you know, we should be realists, neo-realists. We've come to agree we all can never, ever again be neocons. But has that pendulum perhaps swung a little too far on not being a neocon? Does one have to be a neocon to say, you know, maybe a force of 2,500 that was a multiplying factor for the rest of our allies over there and uh, the fact that we were seeing a fairly peaceful situation transpire? Maybe 2,500 is something we can live with without being called neocons? Is something like that in the world of the rational? And, and, and I don't even think we need to, to say, talk about 2,500. I think a, a world in which the American military operates surgically with deployment of special forces when necessary, like we did in Africa multiple times under Obama, whether it was Somalia or whatever it was, we deployed forces uh, to uh, knock out uh, threats to our homeland and globally, as we did as a part of NATO, uh, when necessary. And uh, it, it never needed, uh, it never had a significant reaction that somehow, oh, that means if we have, uh, you know, troops in Djibouti, that somehow all of a sudden that means we've occupied uh, that country. And, and that's absurd. So, yes, a future that... Uh, Show, that is basically highlighted by surgical strikes of special forces and then ultimately begins to more forcefully use a policy of muscular liberalism to put our allies on, on you know, our allies and our frenemies and others to say basically that you're no longer just a binary. We either love you and hug you, whether you're the king of Saudi Arabia 
and you treat women as fourth-class citizens, or whether you're, uh, you know, somehow a so-called moderate terrorist, or whether you are a, a true ally, such as possibly the Emirates and others that are truly trying to reform. And I think President Trump, through the Abraham Accords and others, started to begin to navigate that pathway. But we've never begun to have this informational debate because the woke police have dominated the way we address Muslims. And now you see that that actually ends up being a bigotry of low expectations, yeah. where the bigots in the Biden administration yeah. walked away from Afghanistan because they didn't give two you-know-what about any human being in Afghanistan at the end of the day. See, that's the thing that I worry about. You know, okay, so we're going to be bringing uh, large numbers of people from the battlefield over here. Uh, I think Americans are right. I hope so. I'll get your check on this. Uh, you took a psych- psychiatry class here and there, didn't you have to, doctor? You had to do a rotation. So I want to make sure I'm right, right on this and not crazy. In, in, in when I say that for those that are saying we're going to have to be more vigilant here as a result of this, we kind of know how that goes around here, don't we? When we are told to say – if we see something, say something, and we say something, we are called Islamophobes. If we were – told see something say something here and it was taken seriously fort hood wouldn't have happened absolutely and uh, uh this is this is the issue that our state department and now we're painfully aware that our military our dod is so infiltrated by the wokes that they basically the toughest meeting when i was on the u.s commission of religious freedom the toughest meetings i had in saudi and in egypt when the brotherhood was running egypt was with our military attaches that were telling me, what, you want this whole place to implode? Why do you think the Brotherhood are terrorist groups? They're basically using democracy, yada, yada, yada. This was in 2013, Seth, when I was there mm-hmm. as a McConnell appointee. And things are only worse now because our entire establishment, be it military or State Department, is basically run by folks that are taking orders from Qatar and other uh, uh, petro-Islamist governments that want us to withdraw intellectually and militarily, and they will use us when they need us so that we're their gas tank or whatever it might be, and then ultimately our ideas will never infiltrate their communities, and that's how they stay in power. Dr. Zudi Jasser, I was going to say a treasure for the state of Arizona, and then I thought, no, you're you're a treasure for the country, but it's not quite big enough. You're a universal treasure, Zudi. I'm glad you're my friend. God bless you, sir, and thank you. Thank you. God bless. Zudi Jasser, American Islamic Forum for Democracy, AIFdemocracy.org. His book, of course, also so important that um, that to, if you haven't re- read it, if you haven't read Zudi's book, I have a feeling we're going to be reading a lot more soon. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. What is that audio? Something I probably... Oh, it's Squeeze. We can probably dump that one. I know I requested Squeeze, but let's make room for better Squeeze. We get rid of the bad, we can make room for the better. All right. Um, I've spent the entire show with you on what's taking place in Afghanistan. And we had a caller earlier. It was Mike who said a lot in a short segment. A lot. And one of the things I thought he was going to say, going to say, and he didn't quite, and he may or may not believe it. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. I 
want to talk about it. I thought he was going to say that Americans tend to be apathetic to what's going on when it comes to international relations. And I thought his indictment uh, might include that. In fact, his indictment was specific to publicly elected officials, which is fine. Uh, that's right. That That is their job to be focused on protecting Americans first and foremost. It is a curiosity, though, the other point, whether he believes it or not. It, it's an interesting point about American Americans' views and interests on foreign policy, defense policy. Again, it goes back to some research that was done a couple of decades ago. But when Americans are explained the nature of the threat and the goal of the response, when Americans are explained the nature of the threat and the goal of the response, they rally to it. They rally to it. They don't get war-weary. They don't get body bag syndrome. They don't get Vietnam syndrome. And what is missing in that equation is that our public leader, leaders were not giving us clear information on the mission. The fact is that this has been true on a lot of fronts and not just foreign policy. But some things do grab the attention of the American people more than others. And sometimes it unfortunately takes a tragedy or an event to wake us up. We didn't care about Afghanistan on September 10th, we, uh, 20 years ago. We didn't care about S Afghanistan two days before that when the New York Times put on page 16 that Mohammed uh, – uh, 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 I'm sorry, I had his name early, earlier – Massoud, uh, Shah Massoud was killed. The commander of the Northern Alliance, Shah Massoud, was killed a few days before 9-11. That was, of course, the precondition necessary, the condition precedent for al-Qaeda to attack the United States, get rid of our greatest ally and our best fighting force on the ground in Afghanistan. We didn't care about it until 9-11. And then our attention span worked for a couple of months, a couple of months. And then the debate became, what was the big debate? My memory is pretty good about this. The big debate was whether we would be using union employees to staff the Department of Homeland Security. Less than six months later, we were deba debating labor policy in our response to terrorism. That's what this country was doing six months after 9-11. That's what this country was doing. While Michael Moore was making a propaganda film that every top Democrat went to the opening of in Washington, D.C. with Michael Moore. This country doesn't take the foreign policy issue seriously until the foreign policy issues reach them. Unless you have a leadership that can get you to focus on it. Not an awful lot of construction factory and manufacturing workers in Michigan were affected by the threat of communism in 1979 and 1980. But they understood that there is evil in the world and there is good and decency in the world and one was going to prevail. And if one was going to prevail, let it God please be it the good and the decent. And Ronald Reagan made them understand that. 
he gave nary a speech with all the problems we had, nary a speech without mentioning communism and the forces of the Soviet Union. We understood the mission and we worked to its completion. Pray for a leadership like that. I want to say something I don't think you've heard on any other radio show when we come right back with respect to COVID. Don't go away. We will be right back. I'll say something more about Afghanistan in a few moments. But first, whether it's Afghanistan, whether it's COVID, have you guys looked today at your COVID hysteria headlines? I don't encourage it. I want you not to live in fear. But I was having a conversation with a friend the other day and said, have you seen the latest news about the Delta variant? And I have to tell you, every time I hear a sentence open like that, I pretty much don't really want the rest of the sentence. But I said no. <laughs> and they said, well, news is turning out that it is turning – It's reports are saying that it is actually more lethal than the original, uh, original coronavirus, than the uh, alpha variant, what's become known as the alpha variant or original COVID or basic COVID. And it stunned on me, well – did we make it two months? Because two months ago, I recall everyone saying that it looks like the Delta variant, while more virulent, meaning transmissible, was actually less lethal. Did we have? Because my mantra has been the government has not said, the science has not said, the experts have not told you. And by science experts, I mean Anthony Fauci and this administration have not told you anything significant about COVID since its advent here, arriving on our shores, that has held for more than two months. And it dawned on me, let's just see if I can come up with a list. And I just did my best off the memory, working off of memory, of things that we have been told about COVID by Fauci and or the CDC that hasn't held for more than two months, sometimes not more than three weeks. Let's start with Anthony Fauci at the end of February. Don't change your life. You don't have to alter your lifestyle. Do what you want. That became shut down and change it radically. We went from Nancy Pelosi and Bill de Blasio encouraging people to go to Chinatown to don't you dare gather outdoors. And we will close those shops in our Chinatowns, by the way, as well. We went from be careful with your pets and animals or petting others to pets can't transmit. We went from do not wear a mask to wear a mask. We went from do not wear a mask to wear a mask to a mask is better than the vaccine, according to the director of CDC, Dr. Redfield. We went from wear no mask to wear a mask to a mask is better than the vaccine to wearing two masks. 
we went from there will be no vaccine in 2020, you will not see a vaccine in 2020, three times Fauci said that in one day, to a vaccine having been developed in 2020. We went from wipe down groceries and other objects to don't bother wiping down groceries. This is an airborne disease. We went from intense industrial and other cleaning resources and personnel in our offices, sometimes homes, to, eh, really, no need anymore. It's airborne. We went from, you can take your mask off if you're vaccinated, to, if you're vaccinated, you can still transmit the disease, and it's best to wear a mask. As I said, we went from Delta is less lethal, but more transmissible, to more transmissible and likely more lethal or dangerous. We went from if you vaccinate, you won't get sick or die, to the fact that thousands have on the latter and many more on the former. We went from we need to reach 60 to 70 percent of the population to obtain herd immunity to 60 and 70 percent becoming 70 to 75 percent, 75 percent becoming 75 to 80 percent from the lips of Anthony Fauci, who said he didn't think the American people were ready for such a high number. So he waited out our patience until he dropped the real number, admitting that he never was truthful with us in the first place on that number. We went from this was a disease acquired and spread because of a Chinese wet market and any other theory you may have will be banned to it's most likely it wasn't a wet market and the theories that were most banned are now the most likely. That's off the top of my head. If anyone wants to add to that or question any of it, please do. Please do. We'll keep a running list. Maybe we'll even turn it into an op-ed. But given all that, does it not make you question the government and the health sources, never mind the science? Never mind the science. Um, the last thing, the last thing I want to mention on COVID before I move back to Afghanistan is this. It's not a political point. I know it's going to sound like one, and I'll tell you why it isn't. It's not a political point. It's a journalistic point. When the 200,000th person died from COVID or with COVID in America, tragically, a year ago, a year ago, Anthony Fauci did the media interviews, said this is tragic, it should not happen. I'm stunned. That was a year ago. Media ran with it. 
What do we say about 250,000 that have died since Joe Biden became president when he ran to become president, knowing that a year of knowledge of COVID had transpired and that he wanted to take it from here? There was no comment. No comment. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I want to close with a little ancient wisdom from Plato in the Apology of Socrates. Someone will say, are you not ashamed, Socrates, of a course of life which is likely to bring you to an untimely end? To him I may fairly answer, there you are mistaken. A man who is good for anything ought not to calculate the chance of living or dying. He ought only to consider whether in doing anything he is doing right or doing wrong. Acting the part of a good man or acting the part of a bad man. Whereas according to your view, the heroes who fell at Troy were not good for much and the son of Thetis above all who altogether despised danger in comparison with disgrace, and when his goddess mother said to him in his eagerness to slay Hector that if he avenged his companion Patroclus and slew Hector, he would die himself. Fate, as she said, waits upon you next after Hector. He, hearing this, utterly despised danger and death, and instead of fearing them, feared rather to live in dishonor and not to avenge his friend. Let me die next, he replied, and he and be avenged of my enemy rather than abide here by the beaked ships, a scorn and a burden of the earth. Had Achilles any thought of death and danger? For whatever a man's place is, whether the place which he has chosen or that in which he has been placed by a commander, there he ought to remain in the hour of danger. He should not think of death or of anything but of disgrace. And this, O men of Athens, is a true saying we as a country can act as the good man or the bad man and we as a country we can act as the hero or we can act as one who knows revels in and achieves disgrace it's going to take a while to dig out of this but we have no choice we're Americans after all I'm Seth Liebson. Until tomorrow, thank you, Bill. Thank you, Anthony. God bless you all. And class dismissed.